Ezekiel chapter 16, we're actually going to start with verse uh, 4. We'll read through to verse 22, that the chapter uh, keeps going. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 16, beginning with verse 4, hear the word of God. And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No, I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you. But you were cast out on the open field, for you were abhorred on the day you were born. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you, in your blood, live. I said to you, in your blood, live, and I made you flourish like a plant of the field. And you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed, and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. And I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck, put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver. And your clothing was fine linen, silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. But you trusted in your beauty and played the whore because of your renown and lavished your whorings on any passerby, your beauty became his. You took some of your garments and made for yourself colorful shrines, and on them played the whore. The like has never been nor ever shall be. You took your beautiful jewels of my gold and my silver, which I had given you, and made for yourself images of men, and with them played the whore. And you took your embroidered garments (laughs) to cover them and set my oil and incense before them. Also my bread that I gave you, I fed you with fine flour and oil and honey. Yet you sat before them uh, for a pleasing aroma. And so it was, declares the Lord God. And you took your sons and your daughters whom you had borne to me, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Were your whoring so small a matter that you slaughtered my children and delivered them up as an offering by fire to them? And in all your abominations and in your whorings, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare, wallowing in your blood. Uh, strong passage, and it continues to, to go on throughout the chapter. Now uh, the grass withers, uh, flower fades, but Scripture says that the word of the Lord uh, endures uh, forever. And I pray that it would endure in our hearts uh, tonight as we, uh, as we look at this passage. One of the most uh, basic human needs uh, is the is the need for love, right? Food, you need food, drink, clothing, shelter, all those things. But 
but in some ways in a deeper sense, uh, even love. Part of our humanity is, we're, uh, is, is this need. We have a longing for it. We have a need to be loved, but we can't really uh, survive without it in a lot of, a lot of senses. Um, or sometimes we feel like we can't really function uh, if, we're, if we're not loved. If, if, even if we know that there's a particular person that doesn't love us anymore, sometimes that just breaks us down for how we, uh, how we live in the world, how we relate to people. One of the most basic human needs is for love. God has designed us this way, designed us this way in our humanity uh, to, to experience his love. Uh, and even for us to be sharing that love with one another. Uh, it's even just part of the reality of who we are as needing love. Uh, but in the words of the, the old country song, uh, sometimes we're looking for love in all the wrong places, which is kind of what this passage is describing a bit. Um, listen, Ezekiel 16, uh, as much as you hear all these things through this passage, Ezekiel 16 is about, God, is about love. Ezekiel 16 is about love. It's about uh, God's love uh, for us, and it's about our love for everything else. And it's about uh, God's love, which is greater than our love for everything else, to still draw us to himself. It's about God uh, meeting our need for love uh, in Jesus. Uh, the passage occurs back, uh, the context of it is back in the uh, Old Testament, the uh, kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, as, as they're coming to the time of, uh, of being exiled from the land, pushed away from the place that God had given them, away from his promises, away from his presence. Uh, presence, and he's he's talking about some of their sin. He's using this uh, phrase of their uh, whorings that it goes through again and again. Uh, um, in terms of their uh, idolatry, the way they've lived, uh, loving other things uh, instead of loving God. Um, but the passage is about love. Uh, so as we get through, I want you to ask yourself. Um, how do you want to be loved? What are your longings for it? What is it that could meet your deepest uh, longings to be cared for and known uh, and valued and secure uh, in love? Maybe sometimes you feel like, hey, you've got to take whatever you can get. Um, and maybe other times you feel like whatever you get is, is just never enough for you. There's still, still something that we're trying to fill. Uh, what type of love uh, can meet, meet our needs? We're going to go through the passage in, in three different parts, kind of taking the main uh, sections of it. The, the fir, from 4 to 14 uh, will be the first section we'll take. Um, the first thing that we see in the passage is this, uh, that God loves the unloved. Um, I think that is a beautiful thing, showing the character of, of, of our God, of the God of the Bible, that God is one who loves uh, the unloved, those who are unappealing. Uh, unattractive, unwanted, unlovely, unloved. It's a pretty harsh picture that it gives us uh, uh, here of, uh, of, of this metaphor of, of a child exposed. That was part of the practice in ancient cultures. If there was an uh, unwanted uh, baby, what they would do is just either give birth out uh, away from where anyone would be or anyone might come or else take that child soon after it was born and just leave it in a deserted place. And soon enough, whether the elements or animals or just lack of uh, sustenance, uh, the baby would be be gone. Um, it, it's hard. It's hard to imagine. That was just 
part of some of the practice of it then. When I, when I think about the birth of, I've got two daughters, seven and five, when I think about when they were born, uh, that's some of the ex- most exciting days of my life. Uh, that's why we still celebrate birthdays and throw people in the fountain and all like this, because, man, this is a great thing. Here's life into the world. We should rejoice over it and love those that they've been brought uh, to us in a relationship uh, with us. Um, uh, but here... It's someone that's describing and describing God's people here, but describing someone as, as unwanted. You saw the phrase uh, on it on, at the end of verse 5. You were abhorred on the day that you were born. You were rejected. You were scorned. Not wanted on the day that you were born. Um, now, I realize that doesn't make you want to relate uh, to the passage, right? When you, when you hear the, the metaphors uh, uh, there, you all have people that love you, friends and family that you call, that talk to you. Um, uh, but, it, but it's still describing, in a sense, where we all are apart from God uh, coming to us. There's ways that we, I think we can all relate to, the fe- to uh, at times, feeling unwanted. That was just a particular occasion, and you walked in, and it didn't seem like anyone really, really mattered. To, uh, that you were there. Go to a party where you don't know anyone or you thought you were going to be meeting up with some friends and you go around, you kind of look around and look around and they're not there. And it's just kind of awkward. <laughs> no one else is coming up to you to talk and it's pretty soon you're looking for the door, right? Um, maybe sometimes that's the feeling of uh, just going through a, a break in a relationship, dating a relationship and it's, and it's ended. Or even sometimes just an argument with a friend, right? It can be a petty thing, like just something in the morning and someone said something harsh and then you don't want to talk to each other. And how's it, how do you feel the whole rest of the day? There's like this anger and underneath that anger is this rejection uh, of like, why don't they affirm me? Why don't they like me? And it, it hurts. Uh, I had a, uh, remember in uh, kindergarten, our neighborhood up in Pennsylvania, there's a bunch of houses, just kind of a suburb thing, and we'd all like play together. So I remember uh, th- this uh, guy, I think it was Timmy, a couple houses down from me. I love to go and play with, uh, with Timmy, so I'd walk over and knock on Timmy's door and say, can Timmy come out and play? And usually Timmy would come out and play, and we'd, I don't know whatever we did, you know, ride our bikes around and all that stuff. <laughs> well... Timmy had uh, a very unique way of deciding that he was uh, that he was didn't want to play with me anymore. Right? He didn't just come out and say, "Hey, I think I'm going to go in," or "I'm tired of this." <laughs> I was in kindergarten. He would uh, he would look at me. We got tired of playing with. Him. He would just punch me in the face. <laughs> um, it worked every time. I would run crying home to my mom, and I don't know why I kept playing with Timmy. Uh, still have emotional scars from this, but. Right? He had a way of letting me know that I was unwanted uh, at the time. Um, uh, maybe, maybe for you, it's not uh, your experiences haven't been as brazen as that. People don't just come and push you in the face, punch you in the face. But uh, maybe sometimes it's the cold shoulder, or the sideways glance, or the uh, the undercurrent that you can see behind the smile when someone's talking to you really nicely, and you know that they really hate your guts. Or maybe it's the gossip that you heard behind your back of what someone said about you when you weren't there. Um, When that deep need is unmet, even in particular relationships that matter to us, we don't feel love, it's hard to survive. It's hard to go forward. Um, But here's this child exposed, and what you see is that God loves the unloved. Ah, just how amazing this is. This child is given life. He says he comes upon uh, and sees this child, and I said to you, in your blood, live. He gives a life uh, to it, and through his love and through his uh, uh, provision, um, 
this baby grows into a beautiful woman. And uh, um, the translation of the passage is, uh, is a bit subdued uh, for toned down for you. Uh, but the scripture is not afraid of saying to you that as, uh, through, as this woman has grown, she grows up into a beautiful woman who has a, has a great body. Um, tall, it says, right? Whether you want to think of that as long legs or whatever. Um, healthy breasts. Um, it says her breasts were well-formed. She's well-endowed. Uh, when it talks about her hair, you probably don't want to know this. When it talks about her hair, it's actually aware of her pubic hair. Uh, the idea is that she's coming to sexual uh, maturity. Right? It says that in the next uh, verse, the, the age of love uh, came about her. The, the time for your lovemaking had, had arrived in, in a sexual way, it's speaking, right? Um, and, and there's some allusion there to the, to the danger of her beauty, uh, the danger of her open sexual uh, beauty. Um, but here the Lord uh, comes to her, uh, comes to us as people uh, here that he's describing. He makes vows, vows of, he covers her uh, with his garment, he, he takes care, provides for, makes vows of commitment. I have loved you. I am going to love you. I am promising that I will constantly be there for you. You can be secure in this, and I will provide everything for you. Vows of commitment and faithfulness and, and love uh, that are made. It's, it's a picture of marriage. Scripture oftentimes uses the analogy of marriage for God with his people or Christ uh, with his church. Uh, he makes a covenant, a binding agreement. He's making an oath. Um, and so this woman who is originally unwanted, even on the day of her birth, finds a wonderful committed husband who's giving her everything, who dotes on her with affection, right, as the passage uh, goes on, uh, describes uh, how he is adorning her with gifts um, all the way where she is advanced to royalty, it says in verse 13. Uh, he's placing a beautiful crown on her head. Um, so it's not the fear that, like, you know, uh, that once he you kind of you have to play that little cat and mouse because once he gets you then then all the gifts and the affection taken on dates are gonna are gonna stop. Um, it, it's continuing. He's made his vows and he is following up on it and showing. Every, he's buying her fancy jewelry, right? Earring, necklaces, uh, crowns, the the best clothes. Let's go shopping. What do you like, right? What's the fanciest stuff? This is what I want want uh, want you to be and I want you to have uh, that feeling of knowing how beautiful you are and how beautiful you are in my eyes and I'm providing this for you. Um, uh, the most refined uh, meals, he's, he's, he's taking her to the nice restaurant, right, continually uh, uh, and paying for it. Um, listen, she's, she's advanced to royalty, um, if, it, if it helps uh, this way to say he, he makes her a princess and makes her feel like a princess. Um, some of y'all were at the speed dating thing. I think at one point Andy Johnson pulled out the question, you know, what Disney princess are you? You know, y'all think through the different. Um, this, is, uh, this is dream come true, a love that's being described. The kind of stuff that you see in a movie and dream about. I watched Daphne and Alice, like, watch Cinderella and go, da-da-da-da. They're, like, taking it all in. Um... <clears throat> This is the kind of love that's, that's a dream uh, come true. Uh, her beauty is renowned. Like everybody hears about how amazing she is all through, all through the nations because it was perfect beauty. How would you like that, right? Perfect beauty um, because uh, through the splendor that, that I had bestowed on you declares uh, the Lord. How would you like that, right? This is how God loves us. 
When we feel unwanted, when we feel unloved, this is how he takes it in his hand uh, and, and loves us, how he gives uh, himself to us. This is, uh, this is Disney, right? This is what you, uh, what you wish for, but you're too afraid to admit that that's what you're, what you're longing for. You don't think it'll, it'll come true. You don't have to have any fear of being like unwanted or unloved by God. Maybe, maybe times you feel that way. Maybe times you've come to church or maybe you've come to RUF and gone... And I don't know that this is really a place for me. I don't know that people want me here. Or you felt that way by Christians before. Listen, God is a God who loves uh, the unloved. He is especially, the more you see it through Scripture, the more uh, you realize that the character of our God is one that comes to those who are, who are lowly, who don't have it all together, who don't have it all right, who don't have all the status. And he draws us into the beauty of who he is and bestows it all on us. God loves the unloved in the ways that we need. So, so how do we respond, right? I mean, with that kind of love, that kind of affection, poured out, meeting every need, made into a princess, uh, doted on uh, constantly, how do we respond, right? As a, as a wonderful, loving, committed, responsive, uh, singularly focused on our wonderful husband who is, who is God, who's loved us, right? Or oh, that's not really what the passage said. Um, this is describing God's people. This is how God's people have, have acted in relation to him. How do we respond, uh, second point. First point, God, uh, God shows love to the unloved. Pick up in verse 15 to 22 or so. Uh, second point, um, we're spiritual whores. Um, that's, that's, okay, I just said whore in a sermon. I know. Um, there's more of that coming. It's describing God's people, Israel, the church. Uh, describes her, us, as a prostitute. As a slut, as an adulterous wife, from verse 15 on, the rest of the chapter that goes to, what, like 63, 64 verses, it keeps going like for another like double the amount of time we read. It keeps going, describing God's people as a whore. Um, it's vivid in its language, even more so than just some of the parts that we read. It's explicit. Uh, it's, it's offensive. It is highly offensive. Right, to God's people who are hearing this. This is a, is a passage of judgment of how we respond to that love. Um, girls, I'm not trying to ruin your reputation here by calling you a whore or, or myself a whore, any of these things, right? Um, but, uh, but, but look at look at what's going on, how the passage is describing this. What, what's going on is that they, t- they take the very things that God's given and use it to get love uh, for others. Right, all the way that God has poured his love into us, we say, okay, what does that do for us that we can reject him and try to get someone else uh, to love us? Right, like re-gifting is already not socially acceptable. You're not supposed to take things that someone gives you and then like, oh, I've got a present for you to get your affection, right? Um, but what if, uh, for the ladies, if, uh, if you let a friend uh, borrow your dress, like one of your nice, really good-looking dresses as you're going out, you're like, sure, wear, wear this dress. And then, and then you find her wearing your dress, flirting with your boyfriend, um, trying to hit on your boyfriend. You're like, what? Not okay, right? Not, not okay. Um, <clears throat> Or, uh, or guys, if you, uh, you know, let a friend borrow your car and then they're using it to pick up uh, the girl that you were interested in or the girl that you're dating, <laughs> not okay. This is not what was intended uh, for these things. Or, or worse than that, um, if, if kind of more aligned with the passage, uh, is if, guys, if your girlfriend is taking the clothes that you paid for um, and, the, and the jewelry that you bought her to get dressed up and go out in the town and see who she can hook up with. Um, 
right? Wouldn't, wouldn't be so great. Um, this, is, this is verse 15, right? Uh, you trusted in your beauty. You played the whore because of your renown. Lavished your whorings, really, on any passerby, right? Uh, she's, she's loose. Uh, she's a loose woman. She's easy. It's describing us. Uh, you trusted in your beauty. Your beauty because you're beautiful because of how God's made you beautiful. And then you're trusting in that to try to get love from him instead of turning to God. What you, what you see is kind of, if you read the passage, it's a poetic reversal of each of these gifts of how God's bestowed on her uh, turn back around. Every gift of love is, is used to attract the love of others instead of in that relationship. Uh, she can just kind of go through, uh, bring, bring some of this out. All right, this, her, her renown, her reputation is, hey, everyone's heard of her beauty. So she's like, all right, come, come on. Right? People have heard of me, and now I can, I can attract uh, anyone. They all know. Uh, mentions the garments uh, that he's given, and they're, uh, they become a place for, uh, builds a little uh, tent for, uh, tent for lovemaking, right, out of, uh, out of some of those uh, threads. Uh, the jewelry... Uh, she uses, uh, grinds down to make into to images, idols of people to, to worship. Um, uh, this is the idolatry of it, uh, the sin of it, or worshiping that instead of, instead of God. Uh, taking the food that God's provided and turning that into to an offering to that God, to that idol. Um, and finally he goes, even, even to your children. Uh, that you're taking your children and offering them to these things when I've provided this, taking our children and turning this way. One of the practices in ancient cultures was uh, some of the religions in the day was sacrificing a, a child through the fire uh, to these other gods. Um, it's part of part of what's being uh, mentioned. That there's other other sides of it, uh, but it points out just the reversal of our affections away from God, looking for love anywhere else. And it shows just how offensive it is to God. Right? If the girl borrows your dress and she's flirting with it, like, that's offensive. Um, th- this way uh, more so. Right? She didn't remember being, being unloved uh, and receiving God's love and fullness. But her life is all from God's grace. Um, uh, God's goodness to her, her adornment, her beauty are all through, through his grace, right? Uh, she's a whore. Right, so, so do we do this? Is this really describing us? Right? Ah, absolutely not. Of course not. This cannot be describing me or, or any of y'all. Right? There's, there's no way. This is just some random Old Testament image. What can you do with the Old Testament, right? All this crazy, crazy stuff here. Um, listen, I know we would never want to describe ourselves uh, this way, um, but I, I think we can still see this about ourselves. Um, Rather, the greatest commandment, Jesus says, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Um, right? And, it, and the problem we see in ourselves relates to it. It's not just that we don't love God with our whole self constantly, but we also give that love to other things. That there's other things or people or, that we would rather gear ourselves into because of what they give back to us. Um, and... and it, if you can see that, if you can admit that sometimes we love other things uh, more than God or love other things when we should be uh, loving God, then that means we're spiritual whores, Spirit, spiritual whores, right, spiritual whores. But it, it means that we're, that we're taking what God's given us and we're trying to give that love or look for that love from somewhere else and not uh, in this relationship with him. 
we, we take what God gives and we serve them as idols to, to bring us more love, right? Um, take your physical beauty, your appearance when you look in the mirror and the ways you can make yourself up and who you think you can attract from that, right? Um, a lot of times we just take that physical beauty that's part of the way that God has made you and the opportunities that he's placed uh, in you for you to be adorned a certain way. And you, we use that physical beauty to try to attract others because we're not really concerned what God thinks about us. What does, what does the cute guy in my class think? Uh, what does the hot girl think of me? Um, Maybe you're really smart. You're intelligent, right? You've got something witty to say in any comment or, you know, Facebook chat. Everyone thinks that you're you know, smart or you've got an interesting thing to contribute or you're doing well in your class or you're able to be in the really hard major and still knocking the top out of it so you know you're going to be able to get a good job and a good paying job, and that's, that's impressive, right? And we, we use that intelligence to try to seem impressive and seem more important to other people so that they'll like us, not just to serve God. Uh, maybe leadership. Uh, you find that people follow you. They, they listen as you speak. You have influence over them. You set direction on things. And how do you use that leadership? Uh, to serve others or to, or to show others the great things that you can do and the impressiveness and position that you should have. Um, maybe it's things like wealth or, or position, uh, possessions that you have. Um, do, we, do we use that? For other people, or are we are we looking to use it to get what we want uh, and to show other people what we have? Um, right, you see it. You see the the spiritual playing the whore, the idolatry of it. We take who God has made us, and instead of uh, reflecting it back to Him, we try to gain everything else we can for ourselves uh, from it. First um, Corinthians says, "What do you have that you didn't receive?" Kind of a rhetorical question but everything we have as part that we've received from god from his uh, working in the world and in our life um let me like just for a minute address our uh, spiritual pride right or christian pride for a minute i think a lot of times christians are, are are known for thinking that they're better than other people and then they're known of as being hypocrites because they're not actually better than other people um here's part of what this passage is saying christians are a bunch of spiritual whores uh, you don't like me to say that. I told you, like, remember the first week, uh, Scripture breathed out by God. It's going to take you to task, hold you over the, over the coals. Um, it's part of what it's doing uh, to us. Uh, believers can't look down on anyone else. You're not better than other people. You haven't done all things uh, great, however different, different ways. You're doing the same thing that Scripture is describing as, as playing the whore before God, being unfaithful to him, the love that he's uh, shown uh, to us. Um, uh, maybe you, you know, look at the guys and the girls that are uh, hooking up every weekend and you go, oh my goodness, I can't believe that they're doing that and this kind of behavior. Um, listen, they're like you. It's the metaphor that the passage is giving to you. Uh, the random hookup each weekend and hoping to find love through that and using whatever you have to kind of get someone's affection for you. That's what, speaking to Christians, that's what you do. Uh, that's what you do by coming to REF, by showing that you know your Bible, by quoting some theologian or something, right? Um, you're, you're trying to say, listen, get this love for myself from things that God's given for me. There, there's, it levels the playing field. There's no room for pride or better than uh, or looking down as other people like they're, like they're not enough. This is, how, this is describing God's people. It's how we too often treat uh, God. And 
if you go through and read some of the rest of uh, Ezekiel 16, it says even more. Uh, she's, uh, she's used the phrase, she's spreading her legs to any passerby. Whoever's going to give me some of that, some of that love or respect that I want, uh, bring it on. Uh, goes on to say she's she's worse than a prostitute. Uh, she's worse than a prostitute because you you pay uh, uh, prostitutes at least getting paid for what she does. And it says she's an adulterous wife. And it says no, you're not just an adulterous wife. Um, you're paying other people to come to you. He's uh, using the metaphor uh, for how. God's people in Israel are looking to the Egyptians and the Assyrians. Instead of trusting in God and his provision for them, they're going to outsiders and say, we will give to you if you'll be the one that protects us. And look uh, to the God. He uses the phrase, uh, how lovesick is your heart? You're not satisfied with many lovers. Listen, we need love. Um, we, we need love in a big and a deep uh, deep way. Uh, it's part of our part of our humanity, and we're looking for it all the time. Um, and God here is calling us out on looking for it in the wrong places because we don't find it there, because it doesn't satisfy. It's not complete. Um, describes this then as an unsatisfied whore. Uh, it's not very pleasant, um, but um, next part's very encouraging. God loves the unloved. Um, we're spiritual whores, um, and God's love continues. In that context, God's love still uh, continues. God's love is greater than our unfaithfulness. Um, God's love continues uh, despite uh, our whorings. In other words, we can't mess it up. We can do everything to try to mess it up. We can't uh, mess it up. Listen, that's very encouraging to a spiritual whore like me. Because um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look for respect or encouragement from all these different things. Um, we can't mess it up and throw uh, God's love away, where then He uh, rejects us. Uh, that we do, that we have done everything to offend His love. Uh, we can't mess it up. He uh, can fix it. He has fixed it, fixed it uh, in Christ. Listen, the very end of uh, chapter 16, uh, He says this. Um, Yet. I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth. And I will establish with you an everlasting covenant. Here was you and your youth. Unloved, I showed this love to you. You went to everyone else. Um, and there's punishment that takes place. The pastor is describing a judgment. It's not just that God's okay with it. But he says, I remember that promise I made to you. The vows of commitment and faithful to, and though you are unfaithful, I will be faithful, and I will continue my promises with you in an everlasting promise, everlasting, secure uh, love. Um, listen, if I did Karen this way, my wife in the back, lots of affairs, we would not be married anymore. Am I right? <laughs> um, uh, this is a, God continues uh, his love and relationship uh, with his people. That's, that's astounding. He will do what needs to be done to create a beautiful and lasting uh, marriage despite all of our offensive offenses. Um, now, it's not just that God's okay with it. He's like, oh, you did all that. But you know what? As long as, you, as, long as still in between those other lovers, you thought about me some, I still want to take you in, right? Um, that would... 
God would not look very good if that was that was who God was. Uh, he, he he judges it. Um, he judges our unfaithfulness. That's part of the people going into going into exile. It's a sign of that judgment. But he also brings them uh, back to the land. But all those things are pointing to where it's really judged. Um, where it's really judged is in Christ, who is our bridegroom, um, when He is nailed to the cross. When he cries out, my God, my God, why have you rejected me? Uh, That's all of our offenses uh, being paid for, uh, being punished uh, and condemned. But it didn't stay there. He rose from the dead uh, to reconcile us to God, that there is life uh, after that judgment. There is life for us in him because he has been judged. Here's the way uh, the passage uh, says it. Uh, he says again in verse 62, I will establish my covenant with you and you will know that I am the Lord. He says, when I atone for you, atone, uh, when I atone for you for all that you have done, declares the Lord. It's the last verse uh, in this section, last verse in that chapter. Um, I'll remember uh, my covenant and when I atone, you'll see it when I atone for you for all that you have done, declares the Lord. All that we have done, he takes it on himself He punishes uh, his son uh, for us to make us atonement, right? At one, you can take apart the part, to make us one with him again. To unite us in relationship of his love that's secure, that can't be broken apart. uh, Because he sealed it, sealed it with Christ's blood. Listen, this is beautiful because it lets us be open about our shame. It lets us be open about how much we've offended God, the things that we've gone on to do. We don't have to hide it. We don't have to cover it. We don't have to pretend that I'm not as bad as you. I didn't do those kind of things. We, we get to say, God, here it all is. I lay it on Jesus. Let him take it. And would you still love me? Would you show me that love from the beginning and carry it through to the end that I would not be unwanted or ever rejected but secure in your affection? Your full, uh, confident uh, affection, this beautiful relationship that God continues. Um, It's atonement that comes from Christ's blood, his life, uh, his death. Um, It's a reconciliation to God that's now in Christ uh, and that continues uh, reconciled to God eternally. Uh, When when then we will only love him and fully uh, love him back as he deserves and we get to be uh, his bride. Listen, you don't have to wait for God to love you. Um, I want you to know that. I want you, you don't have to get things right. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to fit in with a certain Christian crowd or a Christian group or have read enough Bible or know enough things. You don't have to wait for God. To lo- he has given us the testimony of his love and sending Jesus for us to cover over all of our junk and to draw us in as wanted and loved. You don't have to worry about not being beautiful enough, not being uh, good enough uh, for God. And even when you're able to see some of your worst actions, uh, that doesn't keep him away. That's the very reason that he's pursued us uh, in Jesus uh, to the cross. That's why Christ died. Um, So that we get to be confident of God's love uh, in him. Isn't that the type of love that you long for? Uh, that your soul uh, longs for to be able to be secure in, something that could actually uh, satisfy and be enough and continue. Uh, Someone that 
has, has seen you in all things and still runs to you, uh, embraces you, and continues to stand firm to their promise out to love and to draw us into that love. That's the God of the Bible. Uh, that's, that's the God of the gospel of Jesus that he, that he uh, came to proclaim to us. Um, I want to conclude with just a, a brief little uh, few verses from Hosea. I uh, thought about preaching on Hosea. Some of y'all know the story of Hosea around around the same time, a little bit earlier. Uh, uh, a, uh, one of God's prophets in the Bible, one of the books in the Bible is Hosea. Um, and, uh, and God told Hosea to marry a prostitute. God has prophets do some pretty crazy things. Ezekiel had to do some pretty crazy things. Part of his he, he told Hosea to marry a prostitute, to, to um, uh, go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom forsaking the Lord. Right, Very similar uh, passage uh, with it. And, and he goes, he marries this prostitute, he has children with her, um, and then after a while she runs off again. Um, back to her old ways, uh, prostituting herself, and God says, Go after her again uh, and, and marry her. Um, and I want you to just hear uh, these words in uh, Hosea uh, 2, um, it, it, this picture of God's love for his people. He made Hosea do that because he wanted to show it as a sign to his people of how he loves us, even in our sins, even in our running away. Um, and, and this beautiful picture this, describing God's continuing love. This is the love of God in Christ that can be yours through relying on him. He says this, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards, make uh, the valley of sorrow a door of hope, a valley of trouble a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth. The time when she came out of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baals, some of the false gods. Uh, for I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by a name no more. And I will make uh, for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord.